We are turning our attention this morning to the book of Romans once again, to Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. And as we do that, uh, I want us to think about the importance of reputation. We are living in a day when one word, one accusation, one tweet, one suggestion can ruin somebody's reputation, cost them their job, and quite literally almost destroy their life. What is new in that is how quickly millions of people can hear and respond to the latest accusation against someone maybe they've never even heard of before and begin baying for that person's blood, calling for their resignation, calling for them to be fired, terminated, all kinds of things. But the importance of having and maintaining a good reputation is not new. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. So a good reputation is more valuable than just about anything we value. Like most things, we don't normally, we don't really realize how valuable a good name, a good reputation is until ours is threatened or even lost. Whether you lose your good name as a public figure on the national stage, or as a member of a small community, it can be extremely difficult to regain once it has been lost. So as Christians, we should be concerned to have a good reputation. Of course, the Bible encourages us to uh, strive toward that end. But we must also be concerned with God's name and reputation. The first thing Jesus taught his disciples to pray for in the Lord's Prayer, we don't often realize is a request, but it is. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name is not a statement of fact, though it sounds that way to us, the way it's translated. It's a request. God, let your name be hallowed. Let your name be honored. Let your name be revered. Let people... Treat your name with the reverence and respect that it deserves. Now I bring that up because Paul tells us here in Romans 3, in these verses we're going to be looking at this morning, that one of the reasons why Jesus died on the cross was to answer a question about God's character and reputation. There was was a question mark next to God's name because of some things that God had done or not done. And if that sounds strange to you, just look with me at Romans 3, verses 25 and 26, and we'll see as we work through these verses how Jesus' death on the cross was about restoring faith in God's character. So here's what Paul says. He's been talking about Jesus, right? And so verse 25 starts with the word whom. He's talking about Jesus there. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, Paul begins there with a big word that we don't encounter many places outside of the Bible, right? The word is propitiation. And your translation might not even have that word. Your translation might have a phrase like atoning sacrifice to make it easier to read. Because again, we don't use the word propitiation a lot. They want you to understand what Paul's talking about. So they use a little bit easier phrase. But the phrase atoning sacrifice gets the basics, but it misses some of the the shades of meaning that are there in a word like propitiation. So what does this word mean, and why is it so important here? Well, the word propitiation means a sacrifice dealing with God's wrath. Okay? A, A sacrifice dealing with God's wrath. And the reason why it's so important that Paul uses this word here is because wrath, the wrath of God, is the problem that Paul has been warning us against since the beginning of the letter. Right? In chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he proceeded to show that all men are ungodly and unrighteous, which means all men need to worry about this problem of God's wrath being revealed against our sin. This is why we need the gospel, right? This is why we need to know about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's because God's wrath is hanging over our heads, right, if, if we're not saved. And uh, Paul speaks even to the religious uh, Jews in chapter 2 and says, if you're not repentant, if you're not turning from your sin, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, on the day of God's righteous judgment. So wrath is the problem. And Paul is saying here in this verse, God has provided the solution. He has provided a propitiation. He has put forward his own son as a sacrifice that absorbs on our behalf the wrath of God that ought to be poured out on our heads. So that's why that that word is important. Paul is saying the problem of God's wrath has been solved for you through Jesus' death. That's what he's talking about. God has put forward His Son, Jesus, as a propitiation by His blood. That's how we know He's talking about His death. right? And sacrifice usually involves death anyway. But just to be clear, right? this is a propitiation by His blood. By His death, Jesus was absorbing on our behalf the wrath of God, which our sins deserved. And it's also important to notice that... Paul says here, God, the Father, put Jesus, the Son, forward as a propitiation. And the reason why it's important to notice that is because sometimes, here's how we think about God. God, the Father, is angry and judgmental because we have broken His law and He's thundering against us in wrath. 
But Jesus is merciful and gracious and kind. And so Jesus has come to die for our sins so the Father won't be angry at us anymore. That is not the biblical picture of how salvation works. Yes, Jesus is merciful and gracious and kind. Yes, the Father is angry at sin. But the Father... Who is the one who is offended by our sin, right? Whose wrath has been revealed from heaven. That same Father, the same God, is the one who sent His Son and put forward His Son to take His wrath upon Himself for our salvation. So it's not as though the Son is trying to persuade the Father to be merciful. The Father and the Son together, in love for us, agreed to a plan by which the Father would send the Son and the Son would willingly give up His life to die in our place for our sin. So it's, there's, there's, no, there's no tension there. There's no arm wrestling between the Father and the Son. This was God the Father's idea to send Jesus as a propitiation by His blood. So he's provide, God has provided the solution right, to the problem of his wrath for sinners like you and me. How does it apply to us? How, how do we get that solution? Paul says there at the, uh, at the end of that statement that it is to be received by faith. In other words, Jesus' death does not automatically let everyone off the hook from God's wrath. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's not applied automatically to everyone. This sacrifice that he has made of himself, taking God's wrath for our sin, must be received. And it is a gift that God is giving that must be received. And Paul says it must be received by faith. It's not received by works. It's not received by merit. It's not received by baptism. It's not received by church membership. It's not received by keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not received by any of those kinds of things. It is received by faith. Jesus' death is counted for you when you turn from sin and toward Christ and by faith receive what He has already accomplished and offered to you. And so if you're not a Christian, uh, this, is, this is the main thing you need to know. That Jesus died to purchase salvation for sinners, which is what all of us are, and there's nothing you can do to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You don't even take it and then try to pay God back. You can't, you can't do that. It's impossible. He offers it to you, and our required response is simply to turn and accept it, turn and take it, turn and ask in faith for God to uh, save us. And He will. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you turn to Him, you call upon Him, He will save you. You will be delivered from His wrath by the death of His Son. So, that's the big word in the text, propitiation. God put forward His Son as a propitiation, as a sacrifice, dealing with God's wrath. This sacrifice is to be received by faith. Now, why did God do this? Why would God send His own Son and pour out upon His Son the wrath that we deserve 
that we rightly dread, why would God pour that out on His own Son? Why would He do that? Paul gives us two reasons in this passage why God did that. You see, both of them uh, are worded the same way at first, right? Verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. And then again in verse 26, it was to show His righteousness. So at the root, these two reasons are the same. In both of these things, God is trying to show to the world, not trying, He is showing to the world that He is righteous, that He is just, right? That He he does what is right and good, what a just judge should do. Through Jesus' death, He is proclaiming to the world, I am righteous. Now, why does He need to do that? Why does He need to show the world that he is righteous. This is what I, what I said earlier, that there was sort of a question mark next to God's name, next to God's character. This is what I'm talking about. Verse, verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, patience, he had passed over former sins. In other words, God has said, I'm just, I'm righteous. We, we read it in Exodus 34. I will by no means clear the guilty. I, I'm not going to let sinners off the hook. I'm not going to sweep their sin under the rug. And yet, we know that there were people in the Old Testament who trusted God, but were sinners. And we believe that they are in the presence of God, even now, right? How can that be? How could God let a man like Abraham, or a man like Moses, or the example I remember hearing with this text that works so well is David. How could God let any of those men, who were faithful men in many ways, but who were sinners, clearly, How could God let them into His presence? Let me put a fine point on it. We're all familiar with Psalm 23. We know David wrote Psalm 23. We love Psalm 23. The end of Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But David committed adultery. David orchestrated Uriah's murder to cover up. His adultery? Is that the kind of person that belongs in heaven, do you think? If God is a just judge, can he say to David, "Ah, I'm just going to overlook that. I will let you be in my presence. I will let you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How how can God do that and still be just? That's the question left hanging at the end of the Old Testament. How can God let these men and women right, from the Old Testament who believed in God, but who had serious sins chalked up to their account, how can God allow them into His presence and still be a righteous and holy judge? Well, you might say, well, because they repented. David repented. We have a whole psalm about it, right? Psalm 53. David repented and asked God for forgiveness and mercy. That's true. 
That's vital. That's important. The Bible says that um, that's part of our response to the gospel, right? We repent and believe. That's, that's essential. But if a murderer says, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, should the judge let him go free? Repentance is not enough. That's not enough. You might say, well, that's why they had sacrifices in the Old Testament. That's why God set up the whole sacrificial system was to to deal with sin. Well, that's true. But we also have to remember what Hebrews says in Hebrews 10.4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The sacrificial system existed to deal with Israel's sin for a time so God could dwell in their midst, in the tabernacle and later in the temple. But it's not enough to really take away their sin. So how can these people from the Old Testament be allowed into God's presence, dwell in His house forever, when they have these grievous sins that they have committed that God has not sufficiently punished? That's the question Paul is addressing. It has put a question mark in some people's minds about God's righteousness, about His justice. And Paul is saying the cross is God's answer to that question mark. God knew, God had planned exactly what he was going to do with David's sin and Moses' sin and Abraham's sin. He passed over their sins for a time in his divine forbearance because he had already planned to put forth his son as a propitiation, not only for the sins of the people who would be living at the time of Christ, like Paul and Peter, not only for the sins of people who would come after that time, like you and I, but also for the sins of those who had lived before Christ's coming, that God had for a time, temporarily, passed over their sin until the day came when the sufficient penalty would be paid on their behalf. So Paul is saying the cross is there. Jesus' death is there to show the world in no uncertain terms that God is unswervingly committed to justice and righteousness. He does not sweep sin under the rug. He does not play favorites and say to some, I'm just going to forget about your sin, and to some, I'm going to punish yours. Instead... God provides full payment for the sins of those who turn to Him and trust in His promises. And He provides full payment for their sin through the death of His Son. We call that propitiation. That's what the cross was for. Now this is important. right? This is important uh, for many reasons. One of them is this. You may or may not be an adulterer like David. You may or may not be complicit in someone's murder, like David was. But whether you are or you aren't, almost certainly, all of us have something in our lives that we know, if everyone knew, there would be people who would say, that person does not deserve to go to heaven. I know what they did. I know what they said. I know how they acted. I know what they what they failed to do, whatever it is. How does a person like that deserve to be in in heaven? If God is just, people like that ought not to be in heaven. 
What's the answer to that? The answer to that is propitiation. We don't deserve to be in heaven. David didn't deserve it. Moses didn't deserve it. Abraham didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus has made it possible for us to be welcomed into heaven along with Abraham and Moses and David by paying the price for our sins so that God can forgive us without ceasing to be righteous. That's the second part in verse 26. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, right now, so that He might be just, or righteous, it's the same word, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Paul says the second reason why propitiation was necessary, why it was necessary for Jesus to take God's wrath for our sin on the cross, is because of the doctrine of justification. Paul just said in verse 24 that everyone who's saved is saved the same way, right? We're all sinners. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so there's no distinction there. And we're all saved in the same way because everybody who's saved is saved by being justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And what justification means is that God forgives your sin and declares you righteous. So later in chapter 4, in verse 5, Paul is going to say, God justifies the ungodly. Okay, The ungodly, that's you and I. We're the unrighteous ones. We're the sinners. God justifies us when we have faith in Christ. And when it says He justifies us, what it means is He pardons all of our sin, all of our transgression, and He says, you are righteous in my sight. Now how can He do that? That. That's a, that's a problem on the surface because Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. If you have, you know, if you have a judge uh, and he makes a habit of saying to people that everybody knows is guilty, you're righteous, go home, not guilty. And he makes a habit of people who are clearly innocent saying to them, you're condemned, sentenced to prison. What are we going to do with that judge? We're going to fire him as soon as we can. He has ruined his reputation. He is unjust. He is unfit to be judge. God is the judge of the universe. Stakes are quite a bit higher. How can God, this is a question Paul is wrestling with and trying to answer for us, and answering for us. How can God say to sinners like you and I, to sinners like David, to sinners like Abraham, you are righteous? Paul's saying the only way God can do that, and he can now, the way he can do that, the way he can be just as a judge and justify those who have faith in Jesus is he has put forward his son as a propitiation to be received by faith. He has sent his son to take upon his shoulders the sins that must be punished so that our sins can be punished in someone else so justice is satisfied 
And God can say to us, you no longer have to bear those sins. You no longer bear the condemnation that those sins deserve. You now are clothed and crowned with my own righteousness. You are justified. How can God do that and still be just? Paul says the answer is the cross. That is what the cross is for. The cross is there to say to the world two things. God will not tolerate sin. He will not. If He could tolerate sin, if He could save you and I without His Son suffering on the cross, don't you think He would have done it? God cannot, will not tolerate sin. All sin must be punished. That's the first thing the cross says. The second thing is, God is willing that even His own Son would suffer for sin in order that sinners might be saved. Paul doesn't use the word love here, but this is, that's exactly what he's talking about. The love of God displayed for us in His commitment to put forth His Son and His Son's willingness to be put forward as the one to bear our sin so that we could be saved? What is that if not love, grace, and mercy? And so, that means no one can say that God sweeps sin under the rug, that God doesn't take sin seriously, that He doesn't care about sin. He has, he has answered that objection once and for all. By publicly, publicly putting forward His Son on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And second, think about what all this means for you. If you're a Christian, God wanted to justify you. He was determined to save you. I mean, it would have been easy to let you be lost. To let you live under God's wrath and suffer uh, His just punishment for sin. I mean, he he didn't have to do anything for that. But he went out of his way to plan for and provide a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven, to be counted righteous, so that we could be welcomed into his presence. He planned that for us. He executed that for us. He gave up His Son for us. His Son gave up Himself for us so that God could be just and justify us so that He could declare us righteous and still be a righteous and holy God. That's what the cross is for. So let nobody say that God is indifferent to justice or God is indifferent to sin. Let nobody leave a question mark next to God's name and say, I'm not so sure that his reputation is all that he says it ought to be. He has answered those objections resoundingly, publicly, once and for all. And we get the benefit. We we get the gift. We get the grace. We get the joy. We get the salvation. We get the knowledge that the price has fully been paid for us to be righteous in God's sight. God's not making that up. This is not just, you know, He's not cooking the books 
Just, let's just pretend like they're righteous. He's not doing that. He has provided a real righteousness for us. He has provided a real forgiveness for us that no one can question. That no one can second guess. So when you stand before God in Christ, no reason to fear, no reason to doubt, no reason to be uncertain, no reason to say to yourself, I wonder if I'm allowed to be here. I wonder if this is okay. I wonder if we're going to get away with this. There's, there's no getting away with it. Everything has been dealt with legally, right? It has all, all the I's have been dotted, all the T's have been crossed. Everything is in order. God has provided everything necessary for our salvation down to the last drop. It's secure. It's permanent, it's a gift, it's grace, and it's yours if you'll have it, if you've turned to Christ. Let's pray.